I don't know how to describe it other than like like a demon type of sound. But it's silhouetted, hulking, every bit of five and a half feet wide, 13 to 14 foot tall, pitch black. The one thing that ran through my mind when I had this encounter was I don't have a big enough gun. Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning. Welcome to Creek Devil. Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Creek Devil. We have Mark with us today. So Tom, I'm going to have you take it away since you have uh, spoken with uh, Mark here. All right, Mark, yeah, you and I chatted a little bit. And by the way, just... I hope it's okay to say this, and if not, we can, you know, we'll take care of it. But Mark's background, oddly enough, is you—you you have a, a background in anthropology, correct? That—that that was my major in college. I never finished on that major. Um, I ended up uh, getting a degree in um, exercise science instead. But uh, but yeah, my my I come from a family. My mother's uh, an anthropologist, archaeologist, and um, and you know. My 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 plan was to be an archaeologist, and I actually wanted to. My plan was to study, you know, uh, pre-human history, you know, cavemen essentially, and and you know all the uh, all the things that led up to us. So it turns out this is uh, this is this is a good topic for me. Yeah, well, I was going to say, arguably, you you got into that inadvertently anyway. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm going to hand it off to true. you. Okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll set the stage for everybody and, and let you know, you know, why I wear, why, why I was where I was and, and, and all that. Uh, I'm, I'm a, a stay at home father. I retired young in my late thirties. Um, I, I feel blessed for that. And, uh, I have some young children. I have older children too, but I have young children. I have two babies essentially. So I, I stay home with them. And, um, at the time last year when I had the experience that I'm about to talk about, my wife was in her third trimester and, uh, I was, you know, I already had an 18 month old and I was the full-time parent. So every year since 2010, for one reason or another, usually for just, you know, for, for pleasure, I like to go winter camping alone, solo camping, not not to hunt or anything like that, but I just like to camp in the winter. I don't like bugs. Uh, I, I, I just, I like the cold. The cold makes me happy. There's something special about camping in the winter. And, um, you know, last year, my wife, like I said, she was pregnant. Uh, I, I knew that she was going to have the baby in a few months and this was going to be my last chance probably to do that. I probably was going to have to skip a year of winter camping. So I was, I was feeling the need to get out and, uh, and get that winter camping in before it got too warm. So, you know, I've been doing it for 10 years, nine years in a row. So last year, normally I, 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 I go somewhere a little bit close. I live in Pennsylvania. I live just west of Philadelphia. And um, normally I go somewhere close to here in Pennsylvania or uh, in New Jersey. I, I, I like the Pine Barrens. It's a special wilderness area of New Jersey that a lot of people, if you haven't heard of it, it's a special place. Um, but in any case, I decided, you know what, this time I want to go a little bit deeper in the woods. I want to go somewhere far out. And growing up as a boy, my father used to take my brothers and I to north central Pennsylvania when we were kids. And, uh, you know, the place, the place just holds a really – I have a soft spot in my heart for north central Pennsylvania. And um, it's, it's, it's some, some real wilderness out there, too. You know, what you have basically is, is a lot of uh, rolling, rolling mountains, you know, uh, at, 
um, you know, East Coast type mountains, Appalachian Mountains, uh, with with a lot of valleys and a couple small towns kind of dotted in the valleys, and that's it. I mean, you have just a lot of woods as far as the eye can see in all directions. So I said, you know, I, I got on Google and I found an area that looked real good. It's called the Hammersley Wild Area, and uh, it's a conglomeration of, of state parks, kind of like, you know, an area where they all sort of meet, and it has the distinction of being the most remote place in all of the state of Pennsylvania, which is saying something, you know, Pennsylvania is a pretty, uh, a, a pretty woodsy state, like I was saying. So, uh, it's about a five and a half hour drive. I, I made the drive, packed everything up, headed out. And uh, I got to a town called Cross Fork, Pennsylvania. It's a town of 30 some people. So it's a real small town, kind of a stop through town where, um, uh, snowmobilers cruise through and <laughs> 35 people, but it has two bars. The town, I <laughs> noticed that. Um, it does have a motel for fishing season. It has a tremendous creek that goes through it, Kettle Run it's called. Amazing, beautiful, beautiful, big stream. goes right through the heart of town, and it goes right into Hammersley, right on the edge of Hammersley. And then, you know, you have some, some large but smaller than Kettle Run um, streams that flow down from Hammersley into Kettle Run. And uh, the, the motel is there for, for when the uh, fishing season starts, when trout season starts. And uh, I would imagine deer season as well. So it wasn't open yet. I got there. It was uh, March 10th. But I did rent a room in a boarding house next to the hotel or the motel, um, just more or less so I'd have a place to park my vehicle. I didn't want to leave it on a dirt road in the middle of the woods and then hike miles away from it. Uh, so I, I got there. I rented the room, parked the vehicle, and I didn't waste any time. I threw my pack on. It was about a half-mile walk from, from, from the center of Crosswork where I was you kind of walk on the only road that goes through town and it, it, it you know, you get to the entrance of uh, what I guess they call it a hiking path through Hammersley, but it's really not much of a path. It's just trees with uh, spray orange and yellow uh, spray paint dots on them. And that way you don't get lost. You follow these dots, uh, but it's pretty, pretty tricky terrain uh, for the first half of the walk through the place. I, we're talking like some, you know, you're climbing up some steep slopes and, there was an area along a, a couple ridges that are, you basically have, you know, what what could be no wider than a 10-inch ledge and sort of a real, like almost a cliff. It's kind of it's kind of treacherous, you know. You you, you got to watch your footing. So uh, it took a while to get up into the middle of where I was looking to get to. I had everything set into my GPS. I had chosen. I went online and I chose the spot that was. I, I literally chose the most remote spot in all of Hammersley, in the most remote area of the state. So that was my plan. I was going to get out there. So I, I was. I don't know whatever it was. I left at 10:30. It was getting on four o'clock. Five and a half hours. I had made it to the top of the, basically to the point where it was going to be mostly downhill from here. And I sort of stopped at the top of the hill and I thought, you know, it's going to be dark by the time I get to my spot, but you know, I'm just going to do it. I'll get down there. I'll get a fire going. I'll turn on some lights and turn on a lantern and, and it'll be fine. Um, you know, I, I hate cutting firewood at night. I like to have it stacked up and ready, but whatever. So I started making my way down. I hadn't gone, I don't know, 10 minutes downhill. And I hear this, uh, this tremendously frightening roar far away. Not, it wasn't close by, but it was down in the valley towards where I was heading. So I'm going to say it was at least a mile away, judging by how, you know, you could tell it was pretty far, but it was like nothing I'd ever heard before. It, it wasn't a, 
it, it, the best way I can describe it is it sounded like if you took a, a like a howl from like a wolf and mixed it with a mixed it with a roar from a lion and a scream from a from a human and you know amplified it greatly. That was the noise I heard. And uh, you know, well, Tom, I was talking to you and I, I told you that I found a video a few weeks ago. It was called um, "Strange Noises in Northern Ontario," and it's a uh, it's these people out in the woods, and they they rec- they're recording the exact noise that I heard, just that long, drawn out. And it would go five, ten seconds, and then whatever it was, it catch its breath, and then do it again and again. That's exactly what I was hearing. So I yeah, it stopped yeah, yeah. me right on my tracks. I mean, stop me, stop me dead in my tracks. I pulled my phone out to record it. And uh, unfortunately, it, it was too far away. I, I couldn't pick it up on my phone. Um, but anyway, so it made me stop. I stopped and I thought, oh, boy, <laughs> yeah, that's it, literally the direction I'm heading where that noise came from. So I had to make a decision. And uh, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to camp at the top of the mountain today, tonight, and I'll head down there tomorrow. I didn't want to be down there in the dark with whatever that was. And, you know, you could tell it wasn't a bear. If, if you've ever heard bears even, you know, in the zoo or on TV, or I've never heard them in the wild. I've seen two bears my, my whole life. And I've spent a lot of, a lot of time in the woods compared to most people. And I always laugh when I hear people say, Oh, I wasn't a bear. When I hear, you know, encounters, I've seen a million bears. I don't know where these people are. They see so many bears, but the only two bears I've ever seen, <clears throat> excuse me, was, uh, you know, was, was their rear ends as they were running for their life away from me. Um, but it wasn't a bear. It didn't have that kind of, kind of noise that a bear makes it didn't have that noise that you hear from a wild cat uh it was something different now i know what it was hey mark let me ask Um, you when you heard that vocalization uh was there any sense of it being male or female or did you get that you know speculation um you know what that's a good question not really i guess at the time I, you know, at the time I wasn't thinking Sasquatch, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't, that, that thought wasn't on my mind. I was just kind of out in the woods and, um, I was, uh, to be honest, I was a little confused. Uh, I, I almost thought like, I, 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 it sounded like almost humanish, but it was obviously not a human. It was too powerful and too, it was a roar. I mean, it's not, like I said, it sounded like a howl and a lion roaring at the same time and a, and a man screaming all at once. So, no, I, I mean, I guess looking back on it, just because it was so loud and powerful, I, I would get the sense that it was a male. But I don't really know. You know, I don't know if, if, if female, a female can scream like that, too, or not. I'm not sure. Yeah, there's not really. But, um, these things, yeah. there really isn't any way to tell the difference with uh, uh, their vocals. Yeah. I just knew it was big. It sounded big and it sounded loud and scary. I can tell you that. Um, so yeah. It, it, and, and like I said, it, it stopped me from my mission at that point. Um, so I, 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 I set up camp at the top of the mountain, which is anybody who's done, who knows survival knows it's a bad idea to set up at the top of a hill. Um, cause you get hit by the weather and the wind and it can be colder at the top and the bottom of a hill. You sort of want to stay in the middle where the, you know, the heat hasn't, the, the cold hasn't sunk to the bottom and the wind isn't whipping on you, but whatever. I, I found a good tree that was a huge evergreen type tree with big, big boughs that were spread out real far. And uh, I cut the lower dead boughs off pretty high, maybe seven, eight feet up. 
and I pitched the tent under there, figuring it would afford me some, some uh, you know, relief from the weather. There was supposed to be some kind of precipitation coming that, that later on that night, so I figured it'd be a good idea. And uh, whenever I set up a camp, I, I've learned over the years that you always bring an extra tarp. And it's a really good idea to, when you pitch your tent to surround your whole tent <clears throat> excuse me, and tuck it under the tent, a tarp, and then I, I'll take clamps even and clamp it to the poles uh, because there is no tent on earth that is truly waterproof that I've ever been in. Um, and it, it pretty much always rains or snows or something when I go camping. So um, I set up my tent. Uh, I, I got set up. I got a little fire going. I, I got a can of Spam out put it on a stick. I was cooking spam over the fire, just really feeling real good. You know, it's my first night out. It's been a while. It's been a year since I've been doing it and I was alone. And, uh, I love the silence of the wilderness. And that's the other thing about winter camping. Uh, at night it is just quiet compared to the other times of year. I really, I really like that a lot. I think, I think silence is uh, underrated. <laughs> it's one of those people. So, uh, especially with my life, I got a lot of children and there's a lot going on. So I, uh, it started to rain, and it was it was below freezing there. It was in the 30s, low 30s, and uh, at the time, so it was a freezing rain. It would it would hit and just freeze immediately on me on the on the, the tent, and uh, I wasn't real happy about that. I tried to keep the fire going, but it was it was of no use. And then uh, we got a heavy heavy sleet came down right after that came down on me, um, and it was it was time to retire for the night and get inside. Uh, I had forgotten to bring my sleeping pad with me, which was a nightmare because the ground was pretty cold. Uh, and I, I didn't bring my, my warm weather sleeping bag either. I brought two, or my, my cold weather sleeping bag. I brought two warmer weather sleeping bags and figured I would just leave. I had a couple layers on, winter coat. I figured I would just, you know, leave all my clothes on and get in there. I'd be fine. It was not the case. I was freezing all night and a horrible night just wind whipping, tons of rain, tons of sleet. I could hear branches coming down. I heard two trees crash down. I actually found them the next morning. And they were, one of them was pretty close, you know, less than 100 yards away. Um, just kind of terrified, to be honest, that I was going to get crushed. But, you know, whatever. I just hung in there and uh, waited for daylight. So uh, eventually the wind died down, and it was just a heavy sleet. And at this first sign of daylight, Man, I was out of there. Oh, the other thing is my boots were wet. I forgot to, to weatherproof my leather boots. I wore my kind of like my tactical boots. Good, dumb idea. And then the five-hour five, five trek up there, five and a half hours, the snow had slowly leached through and gotten to my socks. So they were totally wet, my boots. So I put them next to the fire the night before to dry them out, and I ended up burning the soles of my, both of my boots to the point where they were just almost not usable. So now I'm like, I'm, I'm tired, I'm cold, I'm miserable, my boots are like ruined. I had to take my, my emergency blanket and cut it into two pieces and wrap my feet in it and then put my socks on and then put the boots on to keep my feet. It was, it was just a whole, a whole mess. So I said, you know what, I'm, that's it. I'm going to go back into town. I'm going to take a nap in that room I rented. I'm going to you know, grab a beer and a slice of pizza or something, and, uh, and I'm going to come back out tomorrow morning. So I left my tent pitched. I grabbed my garbage and uh, all my valuables and all that and um, filled my pack, and I left the tent up. I had made sure it was staked down real tight, put some heavy rocks on the corners and on the edges, and uh, I left. Uh, I, I went into town. I had, had, a, had that beer, had a slice of pizza and a burger. I, I got some sleep that night and 
first sign of daylight the next morning, I, I was out. I headed back into Hammersley, and uh, I was feeling good. I was well-rested. I made it up to that to that same spot in, like, record time. It was, like, an hour quick, an hour faster. When I got there, I get to my campsite, and my tent's gone. Tent's just not there. Uh, I was pretty confused because I had it pinned down pretty tight. And uh, I, I got to where the tent was, and there's the tarp. Uh, and, and I don't want to say it was, you know, I say neatly as in like, it, it wasn't like blown by the wind, you know, up in the trees or it just had that look like it was removed and just kind of dropped right there. Um, and my, of my, I have, I use two tent stakes on each corner. I use the big ones that sort of, they have like the, um, sort of like a fish hook has, they have, you know, kind of a, a back serration to them so that they stay in the ground and then i use metal ones to sort of pin sideways into those and um three of those big tent stakes were in a pile next to the tarp so i it was I, at this point i thought someone stole my tent i can't i can't imagine who would do that but somebody stole my tent so i i, I started scanning the area and i looked off into the woods and sure enough there's my tent and it's sitting straight up like it's been repitched so now I'm thinking somebody's in my tent right now. There's probably some, you know, homeless guy or something from, you know, from wild man from the woods is living and sleeping in my tent right now. So I did have a, a large 357 Magnum with me with some uh, hard cast, uh, like, um, underwood bullets. If you ever know what those are, they're, they're, they're made for bear defense basically. And I, I pulled my pistol out and cautiously made my way to the tent. I'm saying it's about 50, 60 feet back into the woods behind my camp. And uh, it, the other thing was the tent was in a position, and I'm looking, and there was no, you know, there was snow. You know, this I, I forgot to mention that. The whole walk up here, I was, you know, going through anywhere from four to eight inches of snow. So as, my, as I'm heading to the tent, I noticed that there's tracks leading to the tent. So now I'm thinking there's definitely somebody in my tent. And the tent is, it's in this small grove of, like, uh, uh, it was like a circle of saplings, and it was in there. Like, there's no way wind could have blown it through the saplings and then landed it, you know, sitting straight up. It's just not possible. Somebody had to put it there, and there's tracks leading to it. So I get to the tracks, and I'm looking at them, and I think to myself, my God, there's a giant hobo in my tent. This guy's got to have a size 25 foot. And it just looked like huge. At first, it looked like giant boot prints. And I, I have pretty big feet. Uh, especially, you know, I, I, I have the feet, feet of a man who's six foot six. I'm, I'm six one, but I have a size 13 and a half foot. And, um, so I have pretty big boots and I stepped my foot inside the one track and it just dwarfs my whole boot. And I got closer. I looked at him. One of them I noticed looks like a, like a giant foot, four toes, not five, four toes, um, big, wide, huge foot. And I, I sent, I sent Tom a, a picture couple pictures of the tracks and the one's a real good print like a footprint and uh it's a picture of me, of my foot inside the print with my 13 and a half boots and it just absolutely dwarfs my boots uh it's dwarfing my boot in the picture so i i and you know i i thought to myself i mean is, is, is that a big foot i mean it's a bare foot in the snow what else could it possibly be so now i'm pretty scared um and I, but I, but I did notice, you know, it wasn't a huge stride, 
You know, it was a bigger, it would be like if I took a, a kind of an overly sized stride. So I, I, I got kind of concerned. I, I got to the tent. I sort of, hey, is anybody in there? And nothing. Open the tent. It's empty. I looked for, for like wind marks, you know, because the tent would have left marks on the snow, nothing. Um, so I started really looking at these tracks, and it would appear that there was two different sets of tracks one gigantic set of tracks and then one that was big, you know, much bigger than my boots, but not quite as big as the other one, uh, thinner prints and the toes were different on, on a, You could see sort there was two of those prints where I could actually see toes. I want to just say this. Most there was prints all over the camp. It turned out, but most of them looked, they weren't real discernible like a foot. You know what I mean? There was a couple, uh, maybe a total of three prints that were actually footprints that I saw, but they were all huge. Um, so I, you know, I grabbed the tent. The other thing I found weird is, I mean, you would have to be 10 feet tall to put, cause it was like the tracks sort of just magically stopped in the middle of nowhere. And I can't imagine that the person could have reached over and put the tent where it was without like maybe leaning against the big tree that was there and having like really long arms. It just seemed weird. The whole situation was weird. So, at this point, I'm just kind of walking around going, what the hell? Like, what's going on? I'm, I'm finding new tracks, and, um, and I thought to myself, oh, yeah, you know what? I left donuts out. I had bought these kind of lousy donuts at a rest stop on, on the drive to the, up to, to where I was. And, uh, you know, there's like there's just those classic, like, rest, uh, you know, convenience store donuts that come in a box. Um, they're not, they weren't bakery-quality donuts by any means. And they weren't real good. And I had a chocolate one and an old-fashioned one left over. I didn't want them. So I left them out on a log kind of near the camp, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 feet away from the camp, something like that. And I went, oh, my God, I left those donuts. So I ran over to the donuts, and sure enough, big tracks leading to the donuts. And they were separate from the tracks that I had left previously when I'd walked out there to put them. Because I'd kind of walked out and sort of looked around for a spot and sort of doubled back a little bit to where that, that log was. And... um I, you know, I, I kicked myself for walking all over those tracks when I got to the donuts. I was just so excited to go and see them. I sort of stomped all over the, the, the new tracks that were there. But, yeah, there was a, a big, real big footprint there as well. Um, and you could tell it had kind of stepped down and sort of pivoted, kind of twisted. Um, and then there was the, the smaller tracks came right up to it as well. And the donut, <laughs> the chocolate-covered donut was bit in half and put back on the log. So that just blew my mind, you know, that any animal would take the time to just grab, to, to eat half of a half of a free meal like that, half of a donut, and put it back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, have you guys, you guys ever heard anything like that? Like Bigfoot's not I, Well, food? you know, I can, I can understand that. Um, I can understand not eating them at all. Well, you know, I, we had, when we were investing, I always bring up the occult thing because so much happened there, but, you know, that joker that brought all the junk out there um, brought turnips and, and donuts and all kinds of things. Uh, in that case, the whole box of donuts did disappear. <laughs> um, but they took a bite out of one of the turnips, and you could see the big, you know, blocky teeth marks. And apparently it didn't like turnips, so it threw it down, and they went and raided the neighbor's garden. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, like I said, they weren't the best donuts. I didn't want them. 
So, and, and I, I, I always laugh and say that, and it's true to this day, I won't eat anything from that brand. Um, you know, if it's not good enough for, for Sasquatch, it's not good enough for me. So I, uh, so anyway, I kind of just walked in circles and I, then I, I, cause I, I really was looking for, for tracks everywhere at this point. I was, you know, I was on man on a mission and I, and I begin to notice that, you know, it would appear that they were walking, you know, they, they had, if they wanted to explore certain areas, they had to deviate from my path through the woods, but it would appear cause I had walked the night before all over the place, gathering firewood and stuff like that. It appeared that they had been stepping in my tracks, um, as much as possible. Cause you would see, you know, my old, cause they would, their stride was bigger to where they would skip one of my feet. You know what I mean? In my tracks. And then you'd see a big squashed print. My print just gets squashed. And I could kind of see where the toes would go underneath the snow and that they would apparently carefully pick their feet up. I don't know. I, I, I found that fascinating. Um, I don't know if maybe it was just a coincidence or, you know, I mean, you guys would know better than me. Do they hide their tracks in any ways like that? Is there anything that you've ever, have you ever heard of that? Well, it's certainly possible. I mean, um, I can't think of any, you know, people have talked about it, but it's certainly possible they would do that. That shows a, that shows a lot of, uh, a lot of forethought and brain power, you know? So yeah, they, they are very intelligent. Yeah. I mean, well, uh, do other animals do that, that you've heard of? Well, not so much with footprints, but <clears throat> like, <clears throat> excuse me, predatory animals do it with their scat. In other words, um, you know, you'll have one predator in an area that'll mark its territory with scat and a larger predator will come along and, and actually defecate on that animal's scat, sort of saying, now this is my area. So it, it's kind of along those lines, but not exact. Well, the, uh, the, 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 the prints were everywhere. They were obviously real interested in my camp. Uh, and I had left the morning when I left, it was sleeting pretty hard. Uh, when I, when I left that previous morning and, and walked back into town and, uh, it sleeted for just three or three and a half hours after I'd left. Cause I was paying attention to the weather at this point, And I noticed their tracks were filled with sleet. I was filled with a lot of it, you know, half inch to three quarters of an inch or so. Um, which, which tells me they were, they were probably watching me and waiting for me to leave that kind of, that kind of made my, my, my stomach drop a little bit. You know what I mean? I thought, man, you know, that uh, it's, they must've been watching me and just waiting for me to get up and go. And they just couldn't resist. You know, they had to come in and see, you know, see, see what this guy was doing here. But, uh, the, the, I really found it interesting that the tent was moved. That's just, it seems almost silly. You know what I mean? But I don't no, know. I, yeah. I, 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 I and Mark, you, you said that it was almost like repitched, right? It, it was, it was, sit, I thought it, it was sitting straight up just like someone had pitched it. Yes. I mean, it wasn't staked down. The stakes were left where it was pulled up originally, but yeah, it was, it was sitting straight up. I was, I was almost positive. I was going to run into somebody in there, you know, like they had moved. Mark, like, was this one away, of those, uh, real quick question. Was this one of those tents that like a dome tent or something that's sort of self-standing, but you, you just stake it down to keep it from blowing away. Is that, or was, yeah, it, was it like uh, a, know, a teepee? A classic. No, it was like a classic dome tent uh, with with two long yeah. holes that crisscross. 
Um, yep, yep, but it's okay. a one-man tent, so it's, it's, it's not a square at the bottom. It's a rectangle, kind of a smaller one-man style. Uh, oh, it's okay, not, not gotcha. a big tent. All right. But, uh, but yeah, I, I found that, that, that really fascinates To this day, it fascinates me. What, why would they, you know, you would have to really be pulling on the, on the you'd have to pull the stakes out. I had a couple rocks on it, you know, on the edges. They'd, put, they'd, they'd move the rocks, and then they had no interest in the tarp, apparently. But the tent was of interest and took the time to walk it out into the woods and, and you know, set it down somewhere. That was, it just, it, it shows that they're, it shows a level of uh, inquisitiveness, I guess. You know, like they're curious. One stop um, shopping. I'm just thankful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm I'm thankful that they weren't hungry for for human that morning, because boy, I was out there. No one, I was far enough. No one would have heard me scream. That's for sure. But um, so anyway, that I I had. Uh, you know, I I I decided that's it. I'm camping. I went down in that valley where I heard that scream, that that howling, yelling scream the the day before, and. I had no incidents for another three and a half days. Had a great time and camped right uh, right next to the the stream in there, Bull Run, and um, you know hunted hunted crayfish and I didn't catch any fish. I tried tried some trout fish and didn't catch anything and just had a good time. I, I really enjoyed being out there in the winter. Um, but that that whole experience had kind of set me on this path to where we are now. <clears throat> Excuse me. It had set me on the path of of studying. And wanting to know everything I could about this of the subject. So since then, I have for a year now. I had spent, um, and you know, at the time, I I, I I was looking at these prints, and, and you know, it, it it dawned on me. I guess could this be a Bigfoot? Could this be Sasquatch? I mean, I guess what else could it be? And I wasn't very educated. You know, all I'd seen is the you know the videos of the fat guys with cameras and lights, kind of banging on trees and tromping <laughs> through the woods and. I, I, I just, you know, I just figured, uh, I figured they were, you know, that they were out West and I heard, I've heard about them in Texas and in California and Washington state. And, and, you know, I did, I did live in Alaska for a little bit. I went to college in Alaska. You heard about them up there. So, you know, that had got me looking into it. And sure enough, there's plenty of sightings in Pennsylvania. In fact, I would say it's a lot of sightings. Um, not so many in that area. There's a few where I was. Not so many in that area, but there was there was definitely some. I mean, I know if I was a Sasquatch, that's where I'd be. Would be Hammersley. You probably get the least amount of deer hunters in there, and the least amount of foot traffic through that area compared to other areas um, of of least of the state game lands and all that. So, for for a year now, I've been listening to every every podcast I can. Um, uh, I listen to every encounter. I really love your guys' show. You know, I love the getting to hear the encounter first, and then going through the through the questions. And this is really a great venue for um, for, for for this whole topic. And you know, Will, I've heard that you you know you might have put a few hours in studying these things. So, one or two, so, one or two. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, and you know, it dawned on me. Um, like I said, I I have spent an more more time in the woods and the real key is that i spent more time at night in the woods than most people um there has been and in the winter time uh, i you know in 2014 for instance i spent over a month in the wilderness uh of the pine barrens so to set this is and it dawned on me as i've been researching bigfoot and listening to all these encounters that 
I had a dramatic encounter that at the time just confused me and I just didn't know what it was and thought maybe it was a bear or maybe a monster or I didn't know. Um, and, and, you know, it, it was just a couple months ago really it dawned on me, that's right, I had that experience. So um, this was in 2014. I could tell you the day when it happened, down to the date. It was, uh, I believe, well, maybe not. It was somewhere between December 1st and 3rd in that time frame. It was a, I believe it was a, a Friday. Uh, but anyway, um, I, was, I was working for a construction company. I was living in New Jersey, uh, right on the edge of the Pine Barrens. Uh, Pine Barrens, for those who don't know, it's a, it's a wilderness in southern New Jersey. People think of New Jersey, they think of, you know, smokestacks and high-rises in New York and thick population. And it is a very populated state, but the southern half of the state is, uh, is, is it has a, a million-acre wilderness known as the Pine Barrens. And it's a very unique place. It has really poor soil. Uh, so really nothing grows there but pine trees as far as trees. You get some, some scrub, scrub oaks and pin oaks and things like that, um, but it has very acidic soil. Uh, so berries grow well there, uh, cranberries, blueberries. Uh, there's a lot of deer, a lot of turkey. There's also, um, you know, carnivorous plants, believe it or not, on the edges of the marshes and things like that. Really cool place. There's actually uh, plant life that doesn't grow anywhere else. It only grows in the Pine Barrens. Very unique place. Uh, I, it, you know, I really like it a lot. I've spent a lot of time in the Pine Barrens over the years. So in any case, I was living in a town on the edge of the Pine Barrens. I was working for a construction company. I was living in a house with my ex at the time. Her and I are to this day, we're, we were, we've always been good friends. You know, it's been a long time since we've been together, but we're still really, really good friends. So her and I were sort of split in a house. I lived in the upstairs. She lived in the downstairs. We have a son together. So it was good for him to have us both there. And I was, I was driving a company car. I didn't have my own car. I, I didn't need one. I drove a truck with the companies, and uh, things were good. And I was, had just opened up a new business, a, a vape store, with the, the owner of the construction company I was working for. And we were partners. I basically set up the store and got all the computer systems set up and decorated it and put the furniture together. He provided the building, which was like a strip mall that he had. And it was a good setup. That way, you know, we didn't need a lot of money to get started, and <clears throat> it turned out his wife didn't like me much, and uh, she, and it was on Thanksgiving Day. I'll never forget it. I had I'd stayed late to set the store up. We weren't open, or we we weren't open yet. <clears throat> we were getting set up, and I, I said I got to get out of here. He's like, you know, go go. I went home to cook and do the Thanksgiving thing, and his wife had told him a few days earlier that if he didn't get rid of me as a partner and make her his partner, that she was going to divorce him. So he, his, part of his deal was he was going to get the lawyer together and get all the paperwork and all that. So he had gotten the lawyer, set it up, and, and just cut me out and signed his wife on in my place. <clears throat> so now I, I, I've lost my store. I lost my job because I'm not going to work for him after that. Um, I don't have a car because I was driving a, you know, the company truck. And um, I came home, and I said to my, my, my roommate, I said, look, you know, I don't want to put you out. I know you have other people that could live here. I'm, I don't know when I'm going to be able to pay rent next. Uh, I, I'm just going to bail so that I don't put you out. She said, okay, you know, do what you got to do. Uh, so I lost everything sort of overnight. It was a dramatic time in my life. My, um, I did have two things, though. I had a really good set of camping gear, and I had a girlfriend at the time that still loved me. <laughs> so I said, you know, at the Pine Barrens, the woods, there was an area called, uh, uh, it's Winslow Wildlife Preserve, I think. Uh, it's Winslow, New Jersey is where I was. 
I was right on the edge of it, the, the western edge of Winslow Preserve, northwestern edge. The town I was living in at the time that I just left was right there. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to walk right back into these woods. They were building a new development next to that, my development that I was at, and uh, they had sort of a, they call them sand pits. It's an area where they dump extra dirt that they don't need in case they need it later, you know, for a new house or whatever. So it's kind of just piles of dirt and people go back there with their dirt bikes and four wheelers. But mind you, this is December. This is like the, in the winter time, So it's cold. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to camp it out. And I, yeah, I had friends that were like, Oh, come stay with me. I'm like, you know what? No, this is, this is how I am. This is what I do. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of enjoy this. But at the time I didn't have a car or anything. So it was a little bit rough. So I walked about a quarter mile back in the woods <clears throat> from the neighborhood. And, uh, I was, there was a pretty worn path. It was a dirt path that people walked their dogs on and things like that. And I, I, I had found a mound right off the path. You look to the left and maybe 30 yards, 20, 30 yards off the path. There was a big mound, eight feet high. I pitched the tent on the other side of the mound, covered it with brush and sort of made it a stealth camp. Figured, you know, I'll sleep in here. And then in the morning I would, I would head out into the, into civilization. My girlfriend would pick me up. I would drop her off at work with her car. And then I would use her car to go find a job, get a car, get myself set up and all that. So that's what we did. And by day five, I had found a new job. I had found a, a car, and I was also, I'd go to the gym to shower and all that, so I wasn't a dirt ball um, during the day, but my, my insurance didn't kick in until midnight that night, so I couldn't go pick the new vehicle up until the next day, so it was my last night living, you know, I couldn't have, it was miserable, I couldn't have campfires to keep warm, I was kind of just like hiding out, you know, in this spot, so anyway, every night that I would camp there, every night, uh, a pack of coyotes would come and, and just raise hell right in front of my tent. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it was me that drew them there, if it was just their spot, but they didn't really bother with me. They, they would just yelp and run around and fight and scrap and make all kinds of noise. And the first night or two, it kind of scared me to death. But after that, I realized they weren't messing with me and they were just doing their thing. And, and then about, they'd be about eight o'clock. It was like clockwork, eight o'clock. They'd show up for about a half hour and they would slowly kind of move themselves away from the area. They would still run in circles and fight and go crazy, but they would be, they'd move away as they did it. Take them about 20, 30 minutes to move out of the area before I'd stop hearing them. So the fifth night I, I, I'm laying in my tent. I lay back. I just finished some beef jerky and some food and I'm feeling pretty good. You know, tomorrow's going to be a new day. I'll have the new vehicle. I'll be able to get a real campsite somewhere where I can drive in and, and have big campfires and really, you know, mountain bike and enjoy myself. Uh, my job didn't start. My new job didn't start until after New Year's. It was the beginning, beginning side of a month or so to kind of just enjoy life out in the woods. So I said, you know, I'm going to make the best of it. So anyway, I lay down. I'm sort of just feeling good, and the coyotes are going crazy. And I'm just starting to close my eyes, and all at once, they all start, and they all take off. You can hear them, like, rip through the woods. And I, you know, caught my attention. That, that's new. So I sat up. I listened silence all right whatever so i lay back down i'm just starting to close my eyes again and this stench that is just i mean you hear about the stench from people that have encounters i i don't know if it's this bad for everybody but wow the smell that can i can only describe as body odor mixed with skunk mixed with feces mixed with real sour, stinky feet. 
That's the best way I can describe it. And when I say body odor, I don't mean like like someone's been at the gym and they've been sweating body odor. I, 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 it's, I always think back to being in grade school when I used to sit behind this kid that never showered, and he just had this sour smell about him. And it was that. It was that kind of body odor mixed with all those other things. I mean, and when I say strong, I mean like, woo, I was, I, it, it, I, I, it, you know, when you, when you, a smell sort of triggers, it, it, it really locks a, a, a memory into your brain. And I can remember that moment so clearly sitting up and, you know, where I was facing in the tent when I sat up and everything. It was just unbelievable. I remember putting my, my, face inside my coat and trying to escape it. It was impossible. There was no escaping it. So I'm thinking to myself, what could that be? Like, there's no way it it smelled a little skunky, but it didn't smell like a skunk. I thought, I guess it has to be a skunk or something out there. Um, so I, I used to, it's New Jersey, so I'm not allowed to have, I didn't want to get caught with a firearm out in the woods there. It's a felony. Um, and you can't get a permit to carry in New Jersey, no matter who you are. So uh, all I had with me was kind of a, a short, straight-bladed short sword that was about 26 inches long. So I unsheathed it, and I said, you know, I'm, whatever it is, I'm going to go out there and scare it away because there's no way I can tolerate this for more than a minute. So I, I was just starting to unzip the tent when I heard something coming down the dirt path, kind of thump, 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 walking, kind of heavy, not really trying to hide or anything. Um, so I said, oh, man, someone's coming. So I zipped my tent up real quiet. I just sort of held my breath. I figured, you know, normally I never heard anybody late at night on the path, but I figured, yeah, they're probably just going to walk by because people do use the path once in a while. Um, so I hear it, it stops. And then I, and, and it's obviously a person. You can tell it's a person, two feet. It's not galloping. It's walking on two feet. Then I hear it stop sort of behind the mound. And it very cautiously starts to step into the woods behind me. So now uh, my heart just drops into my stomach, and I'm like, oh, like someone knows I'm here. You know, it's probably the cops. I'm probably on private property. I don't really know, but probably, you know, I made it all this time. It's the fifth night, and, you know, I'm going to be out of here in the morning, and sure enough, here comes the cops. They're going to break my balls. It's going to be a homeowner, the police, something. So my heart just sinks, and you can hear them coming through the woods, but it was as if someone was trying to sneak up on something, you could hear him, like, sort of, you know, cautiously putting one foot down, but not real, real quiet, but, but you know, quiet enough, stalking through the woods. So I'm thinking, you know, my camp, you, have, you could walk up a couple yards from it and not see it, especially at night. So maybe, I didn't see any flash. I couldn't see real well because I had a tarp around my tent. I couldn't see anything. But you could see light, maybe, if there was a flashlight. I didn't notice anything like that, so I thought maybe they won't see me. Um, and then it gets about 20 feet to my left figure. I'm facing the front of the tent. The mound is behind me and I'm, it's directly to my left, maybe 20 feet. And you wouldn't be able to see the tent from there. It stops. And then it just starts walking normal speed, crunch, crunch, crunch through the woods, right in front of the tent to where, right where the coyotes were. And it stops. And I hear it breathing this deep, like a giant monster trying to catch its breath. Best way I can describe it. And I'm thinking, is this like, you know, that is like a big, is there a big giant scary man out there? Or is it a bear? You know, what could this possibly be? And as you can imagine, I'm completely terrified at this moment. Um, I don't know if it's a person. I, I'm, I assume it, it isn't at this point because I'm starting to put together the smell and the fact that there's a big heavy breathing going on and, 
Um, Sasquatch was the last thing, never even crossed my mind at all that whole night. Uh, And then it walks up to my tent, directly up to the front of the tent. I mean, right there. Um, And I'm about to have a heart attack. And it's breathing. (sighs) And it walks slowly around the tent to the right and stops, I mean, right there at the right of the tent. And this is a small tent, so it's, I don't know, two feet, three feet at best from me. And it, I could hear it maybe touch the tent because you could, you could hear the tarp kind of crinkle. Maybe it pushed its finger on it or touched it. And then it started to sniff. And it wasn't, you know, when you hear a dog sniff or like an animal, they kind of do that like in and out real fast because their, their sense of smell is real good and, they you know, they don't really need to take deep breaths. But, no, it was like if you and I were to sniff something, just like big sniffs and then letting the air out through its, no, through its mouth. So now I'm, I'm thinking it must be a bear. But I, I don't, you know, I don't, there's no bear here. You know, there's been two bear sightings in the Pine Barrens in the past 10 years at best. And one of them was in a town kind of a little bit away from the Pine Barrens. So I, it, the thought of it being a bear was just, it was either a bear or a monster in my mind. Um, so I thought, is it a person? Is it a bear? And sniffing, sniffing away. So I, I you know, I got to say something. If it's a person, I got to talk to him. This is what I'm telling myself. I got to say something. Uh, if it's a bear and it hears a human voice, 99.99% chance it's going to run for its life. So um, I'm like, you know, oh, I can feel that my pulse pounding in my head. I'm like freaking out. So I just say, I muster up the courage and I go, who's there? And I smack the side of the tent where the side it was standing on with my backhand, like whap. And uh, to my absolute horror, it doesn't run away. Instead, it lets out the deepest, most terrifying growl I've ever heard in my life. So I, I, I mean, talk about like crapping yourself. I was, I was there at that moment. Um, and it was a big, it sounded like if a dog was to growl, except an 800 pound dog, a thousand pound dog. That's the only way I can describe it. And it was a long five to 10 second growl. So now I'm just poised with this blade in my hand. I'm just waiting for whatever it is to rip through the tent and kill me on the spot. I figure I'll just go down fighting, you know, with this, with this, and that's it. This is it. And, uh, you know, to my surprise, it just turned around and walked away off into the deep woods. The, the, it, was, it was on the side when it growled of the deep woods. It just, I suppose, just turned around and headed in that direction. And you could hear it two feet, crunch, crunch, you know, not that four-footed crunch, 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 crunch you hear from something with four feet. Just crunch, 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 slowly went away in the distance, went away, went away. So I just, I, oh my God, I collapsed on the, onto the floor of the tent, like, oh, you know, just couldn't believe, I thought I was dead. So, and I could hear it getting further and further, and eventually I didn't hear it anymore. And mind you, the stench was still there the whole time. And uh, uh, at that point, you know, I was more concerned with my life ending than the stench. And then the stench cleared up. I thought, oh, my God, it, it didn't kill me, and it went away, whatever it was. Um, so I started, just when I started to feel better, I heard a crack snap, <laughs> like it ripped a branch off a tree or something, and a, you know, loud. Uh, and, you know, right away I get the adrenaline just surges right back, and you could hear it smack the tree or whatever, smack something else with whatever it just broke loose. And it wasn't like on TV when you see these, these, these people like, you know, clunk, clunk hitting a tree 
it, it smacked the tree so hard that the whatever it smacked, I, I could tell it was a fresh branch that it used because it would hit the tree and it went, you know, like smack, like it was catching up. It, it hit so hard that the vibration would smack, smack, smack against the tree again. So um, at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified again. Uh, and then it let out this, like, I guess like a bark noise, like if somebody sneezed real loud, like a Rah! kind of noise. Um, followed by what I can only describe as like a woman screaming, like she just got ripped in half. Uh, or, you know, actually, you know, it, I guess it would have sounded like a, like when you hear a chimpanzee scream on TV, same sound, just kind of huge scream. And, and right. And of course my heart drops into my stomach again. And I just, I'm, Oh, it's not gone. It's right there. It's probably, I don't know, a hundred yards away, maybe, maybe further. I'm not sure. But, um, uh, I just sat there and held my breath for 20 minutes practically, and uh, it, it apparently went away. You know, um, I, I was just – I'm yeah, sorry, just, go ahead. Oh, I was just about to ask you too, like what happened after that, um, after that <laughs> uh, that experience? I mean, at, at, you said 20 minutes, it, it went away? I guess. I don't know. I mean, after it, it barked or did that wah noise, and then, it, and then it screamed, and it was loud, man. Whew. And, and, you know, it's funny because when the coyotes would be at my tent, I was not that far away from, like, from other houses. You know, in fact, you could see, if you looked real hard through the woods, you could see the lights of, of homes off in the distance through the woods. And the dogs would go crazy at people. So you could hear them, like, you know, the dogs just, <laughs> off when the, when the coyotes would show up for that half hour. And uh, there was no dogs, man. When this thing screamed, uh but no, I don't know what happened. Honestly, what happened is eventually it, it, I was, I said to myself, if it was going to kill me, it would have killed me. Uh, and I, I swear to God, I had one of the best night's sleep I ever had in my life. Once the adrenaline wore off, I somehow just laid down and went to sleep and uh, daylight came in the morning and I, I packed up and got the hell out of there. And, uh, you know, my girlfriend at the time, she picked me up and she knew immediately by the look on my face that something was wrong. And, uh, you know, I told her what happened. And I said, you know, I, 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 I don't know if it was a bear, but I, it, it seemed more like a monster. Like a monster was outside. I said, it had to be a bear or a monster. Oh, no, it was just one of those coyotes. I'm like, no, 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 no. This was not one of those coyotes. Like something scared the coyotes away and then threatened my life, essentially. Uh, but, yeah, honestly, after that happened, <laughs> I just went to sleep. I mean, for 20, 30 minutes, I sat there in, in, in stone-cold silence and didn't move. And then when the adrenaline wore off, I was so tired. I'll never forget how tired I was. And I, I, mean, I thought about it. I thought, should I just head in? Should I pack it up and get out of here? Um, do I even want to get outside the tent? You know, it, it, maybe it didn't kill me. I was in the tent. Maybe I, was, I figured, you know, I'm just going to go to sleep. And that's what I did. I went to sleep. Um, but, yeah, what an, I mean, hair-raising experience. It was, its, it's face was two feet away from mine. It was sniffing the side of my tent. Um, you know, at the time, like I said, Sasquatch never even crossed my mind. I never would ever have dreamed that there'd be a Sasquatch in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. It was the last thing I would ever expect. And again, you know, the past year I've looked it up and there's been over the years, a dozen or so sightings, you know, well, the past hundred years or whatever. And yeah, uh, you know, apparently they're there. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, I don't really know too much about the Pine Barrens, except 
I'm a huge fan of The Sopranos, and I know I, I'm not sure if you ever watched that show, but there's a whole episode called the, the Pine Barrens. But yeah, I have looked it up. There are a lot of sightings in that area, and the thing about the Pine Barrens too, it's it's not just in you know Pennsylvania, but it kind of goes through um, New Jersey and everything. So it's a huge area. Yeah, it's a big building. It's a million acres uh, or more. Uh, but, you know, the, the, in, in the area where I was, if you pull it up on Winslow Wildlife Preserve on a computer, let's say, and you look at it, I mean, that patch of woods I was in is probably no more than two square miles. And then you're surrounded by farms and neighborhoods. On the yeah. western side, there'd be neighborhoods. Um, and then on the, the, the north and, and south and east would be farms. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was less than a half mile, I'm going to say, from uh, from what's called the, the, the Old Egg Harbor River. And it's a small river that rolls through that area. And, um, you know, if you follow that river on Google Earth, it, 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 there's always a patch of woods around that river. Even when it goes through neighborhoods, when it goes through farm areas, you'll always at least have a couple hundred yards, maybe, of woods around that river. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they must, they must just travel that river and go from, you know, woods patch to the forest, to forest, to forest. And you can, they're all connected. Um, you could get, you could even get out into the big patch of woods out there, the uh, Wharton state forest. It's connected to, you could you can get to it without having to step into civilization. But there is one spot where I would imagine if they wanted to cross through, they would have to expose themselves a little bit across some railroad tracks. But I mean, at night, I mean, you know, the, we we all know that you know these things could be ten feet away from you. You never even know they're there. Yeah, so, yeah. I'd imagine. Hey, they Mark, just, I got a slip in it. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. I I got a quick question. You know, they got coyotes in the Pine Barrens, mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm just kind of a rhetorical question, but I'm assuming what do they have deer? Do they have other food sources that these creatures might be interested in? Oh yeah, there's there's a plague of turkey in the Pine Barrens. I mean, it's real bad. I've never seen, and I've, you know, I've been, I've lived all over the country. I, I lived in the Wasatch Mountains. I lived in Alaska. Uh, I, 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 man, that the the Pine Barrens takes takes the cake for turkey population. It's every time you go out there, you'll see them. It's almost that bad. Okay. So I would imagine they they could be eating turkeys all day. Um, and yes, there's deer. There's plenty of deer. Um, and the coyotes are actually a new thing. When I was a boy, there wasn't coyotes that I remember. They've, they've moved in somehow in the past, you know, 20 years or whatever. But uh, I, I think that's what it was after. I think it was, yeah, it heard was. the coyotes, yeah. you know, it heard them freaking out in front of my tent. It maybe thought they had food or maybe it wanted to eat them. Because uh, the, the way it crept into the woods off the path was like it was sneaking. You know, because once it realized there was nothing there, it just walked normal. You could, it, it, I, I noticed that difference. It was very apparent to me that it was creeping when it first came off the path into the woods. Um, so, yeah, I think it was after the coyotes. You know, that were in front oh, of and the tent. coyotes caught wind of it, and then they're like, he's oh, like, they okay, definitely the did. gig is I mean, up. Yeah. You know, and I the wonder, dogs did, too. I, I you know, I find that interesting. Oh, yeah. You oh, know, yeah, because the dog, like I said, the dogs would go crazy when the coyotes would be out there. You'd hear them the whole time, off, you know, a the, the couple different sets of dogs off in the distance. But, yeah, it was it was dead silent. You and know, that, that breathing, oh, man, when that thing was breathing, I was, I was going to have a heart attack. You know, Mark, you yeah, bring up s- such a great point. And let me ask you, Will, 
this because um, we always talk about deer being the main food source for uh, for Sasquatch. But do you think that coyotes are uh, also a, a major source for them for, for, for food? Well, I've mentioned this before. Um, you know, deer's the obvious one, but they'll eat anything. And we know they go after coyotes because of the association I had with a state trooper back in 1975. And he told me that's uh, what he found, where they were luring him in and killing him and eating him. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, we all, and, and, and you hear about how much they just, they dislike dogs in general. At least it seems that way from everything that I've read and heard. That there's some kind of mortal enemy of a you know there's dogs dogs fear them and 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 they seem to not like dogs. Yeah, my dog so, backed away. Um, well, he didn't back away. He wouldn't go into the woods. I mean, he apparently knew what was there and and took off from there really quick. And I never saw him act like that, you know, prior to that time or afterwards. Yeah, you know what? It makes me think about something else too. So after that whole situation, I I had I got my Ford Explorer, and I went to a place called Goshen Pond. And it's a campsite. It's, they call it a primitive site. You know, there's no, like, facilities there. You just pitch a tent, and you have a fire pit, and that's it. Um, the, the facilities are a pitcher pump when you want water. But it's on the, um, the Mullica River, and it's kind of spreads out into a lake right there, sort of a marshy lake. And, you know, I often wonder about this, too. I was, I was having a big roaring fire. I was all happy and excited because I could finally have fires and just, you know, raise hell by myself. And, the, of course, the coyotes would surround that camp every night, too. And I was the only one at Goshen Pond the whole time. And, um, you know, I, there was, I kept hearing shotguns off in the distance at night. There were some, you know, some good old boys. You could tell they were out there. You could hear the trucks revving up and shotguns. And I, so I had a whistle, and every 15 minutes or so I would whistle real loud to let them know not to shoot in this direction. And, uh, you know, they had, they had finally gone away. I stopped hearing the gunshots. I, I heard the trucks drive off. But I blew the whistle anyway just to make sure they knew I was there because it was pretty quiet. It would be a good time to blow it. And I blew the whistle, and something whistled off in the woods right near my camp. And it would have had to have been less than 100 yards away, either like somebody in a canoe in the lake or somebody right on the edge of the lake, the direction it came from. And it sounded like a person whistling, not like another, you know, not like another whistle whistling. And, uh, you know, my blood ran cold for a second. And I said, who's there? I screamed, nothing. I didn't get any answers. I'm like, yeah, who's there? Nothing. So I ran in the woods real quick with a flashlight. I figured it was someone in a boat. That was my number. No, there was nothing there. I saw nothing. And I often wonder if that was one, too, maybe. Um, you know, because I would have been the only source of entertainment for anything out there. It was dead of winter. There was no other campers. There was, you know... Um, I would imagine I would have been at least a curiosity for something like that. But, yeah, I, I often think of that gonna, at that moment. I'm going to jump you know, in. That was, for, that was a week later. Actually, I was, I was going to right. I'm going to jump too. in for a second. I was going to ask <laughs> I was going to ask Will to comment on that because I know you got something to say. Yeah, I was, I was just going <laughs> to comment. Um, when we look at uh, Native American ceremonial masks, uh, you see the masks that have the pursed lips. And and that is the the buquas or the sanaqua that they're you know with their words for uh, and I can't remember which tribe at the moment but uh, and there are other names um, you know for the wild man and, and the whistling and the pursed lips is whistling that's what native folks talked about these things doing 
uh, way before we heard of anything about any other kind of vocalizations. Well, somebody whistled, and I, I often wonder if it was, you know, a person. It, it sounded kind of loud to be a person. That's what scared me. It, it could have been one of these. You know, could have been one of these because they do whistle. Wow, that would be, boy, that's a that's a that's a serious run of Sasquatch encounters for me. I didn't even realize if it was because I mean that was no less that was no more than a few days after the last experience I told you about. And I actually I remember getting on. Actually went on. <laughs> I went on uh, uh, Facebook Live when it happened, and I, I remember I still had the video, and I said, oh, "There's somebody out in the woods around my camp." And I, you know, I actually took the the, the phone into the woods with me when I went, um, totally expecting to find a person in case someone killed me. And you know what I mean? In the middle of nowhere in the I woods. Had some record of it. <laughs> um, so there'd be a record of it. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so it's it's that. But that I mean that one that came up to my tent. I, I when that breathing when it stopped you know, 15, 20, 20 yards in front of the tent directly. Because, you know, it was thick woods, thick brush, and then an open area in front of the tent, sort of, in that, in that area, 15, 20 yards ahead, where the coyotes would, would run around. Man, it was right there. And when it stopped and did that breathing, <clears throat> oh, man, I, I, I swear I almost had a heart attack. I was so terrified. And then it, I walked up to the tent. I, could, I couldn't believe what was happening at the moment. But, yeah, I just I chalked it up as a bear. So I looked it up, you know, this past this past year, and there's no way it was a bear. Uh, black bears, number one, they're all but non-existent in the Pine Barrens, and number two, uh, they don't smell. They don't have a strong odor. You know, people say, ah, bears are smelly. It turns out, and I, I you know, I looked this up in, on some some real zoology type websites. No, even when they're hibernating, and they they'll urinate a little bit on themselves, it's not even a strong smell from what I understand. So it definitely wasn't a bear. Uh, it wasn't a coyote. I mean, I can't imagine what else it could have been. You know, Mark, let, let, let me ask you, do you think that since it didn't, you know, necessarily attack you, do you think it was just trying to send you a warning to just get, get the heck out of, out of the area? Uh, I, I, you know, judging about from where I was, I can't imagine that it was feeling super territorial. I was like, I was on the edge of civilization. Like you could see lights of houses and, you know, it was a, a five minute walk to the, to the neighborhood, to the center of the neighborhood. So I, I, I don't, I think maybe it was just blustering. Uh, I think it was curious. It, it obviously showed up to look for food because it was coyotes, whether they're it was trying to get them or their food, I'm not sure. Um, and then it, 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 I don't think it noticed my tent until it had got to that clearing. Um, this tent was, and I can't, you know, people say, oh, they could have smelled you. There is no way if you smell that bad, you can smell anything but that halo of stink around. I don't care how good your sense of smell. It was crazy. It was the <laughs> nastiest, <laughs> most, it was the most, uh, well, it was the most vicious stink I've ever smelled. Oh, I've, I've <laughs> smelled it. I understand, I, yeah. And it was like, I mean, it it, it just, it, it was making me dizzy. It was that bad. I remember thinking, I'm, I'm. You can't pin it on just one odor you can compare it to there's nothing to compare it to no no you can the only thing i compare it to like i said feces a smelly things, feet right? was a good component yeah yeah smelly feet bo feces and and there was a skunky quality to it i do remember thinking maybe it is a skunk because there was a skunk a little bit of skunk in there too but there's no way that thing could have smelled me i mean you'd have to be there's it's no there's no way but it did try and i remember 
you know, that was obviously one of the scariest moments when I started to sniff the tent because, mind you, like, if even if and I didn't move, its head was near my head when it was sniffing. But how could it even smell me? You know, that's kind of smells that bad. I that, mean, that's kind of reminiscent, though, of, of you guys recall the Larry Batson story about uh, Bob Titmus from uh, a few years before Patterson got his film in that same area where he he covered himself up and decided to spend the night instead of trying to bumble through the woods. Yeah. And and the creature came and, and was sniffing the air. He could hear it. Uh, he, he apparently was aware that he was there but couldn't find him. But, but he, he was actually uh, buried. Yeah, he, in, co- he covered himself hole. up in a shallow hole. Yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, I think that's what happened. Yeah, I think it came, it came in to get the coyotes, and then it noticed my tent and said, huh, Burrito. maybe there's food in there. I guess it just got, <laughs> it must have got, yeah, it must have got a little, because, it, it it doesn't know how many people are in the tent, you know. Right. Maybe it, maybe I have a gun, maybe I don't. So I, I'm assuming it just was too afraid to to take the chance. Probably that close at to getting at me, but that close to where people are living, sure. Yeah. Going to be very so, cautious. So I there. don't think it was territorial. To answer your question, I don't think it. I think it yelled and screamed because it was probably a little bit angry, but it was definitely sending me a message when it snapped the branch off. Mm-hmm. And you knew exactly what it was. As soon as I heard, I knew it snapped the branch off, and it beat it beat the, a tree or something else with a branch, and then it, it barked and screamed. It was definitely, basically saying like "f you" to me. Yeah, it was, what it, it felt it was like. a display, sure. Yeah, but yeah, it's some terrifying stuff. <laughs> oh man, and if you know, well, if you look and, around that patch of woods, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna. I, I just want to go back to the sniffing for a moment, and I was gonna ask Will. Um, they really don't have their number one sensory is not smell, but it's, it's, no, it's sight. Gonna be, it's going to be eyesight and then hearing, just like us. Yeah, yeah. Sense of smell is going to yeah. be down. And like the list I of said, ways. yeah, and like I said, there's no way you could smell anything other than your own stink if you smelled that bad. I can't imagine that you'd be able to smell anything, but. See, you know, now, what do I know? Now, typically, they don't smell like that all the time. So that could have been a reaction to your presence. Right, because, Will, haven't you said before, too, that it's kind of, um, uh, just like with, with uh, other primates, it's a kind of, a, it, it comes out of your other armpit. Well, and out, it's, of, out of glands, right. Yeah, and it's mostly from anxiety. It's from like anxiety, they feel, yeah. They get, yeah. They get excited or angry. Uh, they can emit that odor because we find with the majority of reports, vast majority, uh, and I know from my own encounter, very close up, uh, that I didn't smell anything. So, but I have smelled that odor before in a place, and it's very likely due to you know some kind of anxiety or stress. Right. Well, I I I I wonder. I don't think it would have. Here's the thing: is that I smelled the first thing. I the first indicator at all was the smell. So, and I heard it finally after I smelled it walking down the dirt path. So I'm assuming it was kind of far away, I don't know, 40, 40, 30, 40 yards away when I first hit me. Yeah. When, was, it, when the stench hit me. It was probably agitated that you you were there. It probably knew you were there. And, and yeah, I guess so. And, and Will, of course, I, I think from your, your first experience, they probably didn't know that you were there. So that's why you didn't detect any odor um, because it, they, they, they probably were just surprised that you were there. Well, you know, that'll happen very quickly. So, I mean, because I, I ran out of the house and with my dog. And um, and it could have been, too, that they 
weren't that concerned with me. You know, it's not like they're all, you know, it's not cookie getter situations where they're all going to react the same way. Right, because you were just a young kid at that time, so. That was was 16, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's got to be a harrowing experience for a 16-year-old. It was an underworld-changing moment, let me tell you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Believe me, I, I feel you on that one. And, you know, the patch of woods I was in, if you look around it, it would be a really good spot. You know, that's a question I have for you guys. How much wilderness do you think a group of, of Sasquatch needs to just, you know, how much territory? Because, I mean, we're not talking, you know, the wilderness of Pennsylvania or, or upstate California. This is like maybe a, a square mile, two square miles of woods, and then, you know, farms, and then another patch of woods. I mean, I well, how much that, do they need? I guess they're, not much. They're not going to just live in one place. They move frequently. About every two weeks, they move through areas. Yeah. So um, now the ones in the East Coast are a little different than the ones out here. So they probably need less area, but they're still going to be on the move. They, I mean, um, it, it's very similar to how gorillas move. So, um, you know, they move to avoid predators, us, and typically it's so it doesn't really deplete their food supplies. So they, they move all the time. But as, uh, as in yeah, terms I mean, of it, amount of area... Uh, the area that I, I worked for a dozen years in southern Washington uh, covered around 3,300 square miles, and one group, you know, circulated through that area. Yeah, um, we're talking a lot less than that, where, I, where I'm, you know, for the for that area of the Pine Barrens. But, you know, that also means that there would be bottlenecked areas where they would have to cross through. Correct. To avoid, so, you know, there's an op- there's opportunity maybe to catch a, a, a video or something of one. Um, if you could do it right, because they would have to go through these areas. You can, you could go right now on Google and look at the Pine Barrens and look at all the patches of woods, and you know, there's definitely areas. Cause the, the, the spot where I was when that thing came by, there's one way in. I mean, you're either crossing a farm field out in the open, or you're sticking in that skinny little spot where the river goes through in between those two neighborhoods. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's, I think there's opportunity, and you know what, I. I I contacted the BFRO and, um, you know, I did, I talked to the guy about it and it just seemed like a total lack of enthusiasm. You know, and I said, look, I'll take you right, I'll take you to this, to the, to the very spot where it happened. And, you know, know, they didn't really get back to me about it. And I don't know. I found, I found that interesting too. Like that's, well, we, we, we won't go down that road, but we understand. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, fellas. You know, so, Mark, I'm, I'm looking at the area here, and, right. and I can see that it's it, – well, I was just going to mention, yeah, there are some choke points in there. Um, it is pretty fascinating. So I suspect Delaware and maybe get some of these, but you can certainly see uh, Pennsylvania. Um, very fascinating. Yeah, and they, and they could uh, be – for all as, of your encounters. As far as part of a range, they could be coming out of Pennsylvania and into that area, sort of a, a peripheral uh you know, for what would they area. do? I mean, it's a it's it's a big river. Would they swim across the Delaware? Sure, they swim the Columbia River all the time. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I couldn't believe it once I realized. You know, the last thing at that night was the last thing that crossed my mind was Sasquatch. But yeah, I mean, it, it would appear that these things are everywhere. Wherever you got a decent patch of woods, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, I guess you'll. I guess you'll find one eventually. 
crossing through. Well, listen, fellas, we're running a little so, short yeah, time. Um, Mark, stay in touch with us, and we'll, we can help you uh, information-wise. So, yeah, that would be great. And I, I want to thank you guys for for this for everything you do with this. It's um, you know, it's not it's not often I can just talk about this and get it off my chest. Uh, I know it sounds silly, but it's the same old story for me as you hear for everyone else. Where you know, it's it, I, I get a lot of eye rolls and. Um, you know, it's it's nice to have people that are willing to listen and and answer my questions. I appreciate it. It does make a difference, and like I say, we'll definitely help you out. You know, answer questions and and uh, you know anything you want want to know, we'll do our best to help you with that. And we do definitely appreciate you too for absolutely. For yeah. Oh, I yeah. So well, I appreciate it, guys. I appreciate. It. I'm going to um. I, I do plan on when I get some free time in the next few years, heading out and really exploring that area actually and. You know, if I have any questions, you guys will be the ones I go to. Awesome. Awesome. Mark, I, I got to say, really enjoyed having you on the show tonight. Very, yeah, very for interesting. Sure. Absolutely. Sure. Multiple encounters. Yeah, very good ones. Well, I appreciate it. Like I said, it feels good to talk about it. And, um, you know, you guys have questions for me, too. You know, let me know if you're ever out this way and you want to know where to go. <laughs> I can could, I could show you the exact spot. Absolutely. We may take you up on that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. In Bigfoot history, near Stewart, British Columbia, mid-August 1968, about dusk, 4,000 feet up an old road, two hunters saw a creature covered with short, dark hair run off erect up a hillside. I talked to one of them on the phone. He said it was more than seven feet tall and very heavily built, with a short neck, a flat nose, long arms, and wide shoulders. Story from Orleans, California, 1952. This person's encounter was so shocking that he blocked it from consciousness for a time. He did recall the events, however, and this is what he related. I began to remember more and more of what happened. I had me a bad case of the jitters as the memory uncoiled. The first part of the story took me back to 1952, when I had gone to Orleans to start preliminary work on a logging operation with two men by the names of Lee Valeri and Josh Russell. One evening... Josh told me Lee had gone up to Happy Camp, but not having transportation back wanted me to take the Mercury and go up and get him. I had driven the extremely crooked and dangerous road up there, but not being able to find him started back alone to Orleans. It had been raining very heavily, and after going back a few miles I found there had been a slide across the road. There was a man with a flashlight there who told me I could still go back to Orleans by way of a detour across the river. He said it was a dirt road that went through Bear Valley and could come out at the mouth of Bluff Creek a few miles below Orleans. I had been driving slowly down this road for about 20 miles, I guess, sort of daydreaming, when I saw it. Dimly in the headlights, in the rain, was a shaggy, orangutan-like apparition of a human. For an instant, I had the impression the shaggy hair of the creature was a hoary blue-gray in the headlights. An ogre, I remember thinking. 
but the thing swiftly backpedaled off the road and behind a tree. I automatically passed it off as imagination and drove on by the spot. Suddenly, without warning, the car went into a violent and unreasonable skid. I brought the car back under control, but for some reason glanced into the rearview mirror. In the dim light of the taillights and license display bulb, I thought I could see a savage-looking face looking through the rear glass. I continued on, and when I looked again, there was no face. So again concluded it was imagination. I had gone another quarter mile, I guess, when across the road was a small six-inch sapling. I stopped the car and got out, intending to drag it aside if possible. Suddenly I heard the swift thud of flying feet of something coming down the road. Reality was upon me, and I remember cursing myself for not paying attention to what I had previously seen. It was the shaggy, human-like monster I had seen in the headlights. It at once started circling around me, snarling and acting very menacing. It kept this circling up for some time and once came up quite close, and I could see its face reflected by the headlights much better. The eyes were round and rather luminous. The hair on top of its rather low and rounded head was pretty short. Its eye teeth were far longer than a human's. Also, the chest and upper part of its torso was rather bare of hair and also leathery looking. It wasn't too tall, not much more than my own five feet nine inches, although it had a stooped, long-armed posture. Then suddenly it changed tactics. It would stalk off down the road, but would come charging back like a bat out of hell when I started toward the car. The hour was late. The thing was becoming more and more menacing, and I was almost paralyzed by this time, paralyzed by fear. Suddenly a plan of escape, born out of desperation, popped into my mind. Since the monster seemed to think I couldn't get away, why not, when it went down the road again, playing cat and mouse, try to get in the car and smash through the sapling? This I did and sprang for the door of the car a dozen feet away. No sooner was I inside when there it was, trying to claw through the window. I jerked the car into gear, floored the accelerator, and can vividly remember the wet sapling glistening whitely in the headlights as the car slashed it aside. I remember the scream of rage and frustration it then gave. It was a curious, trumpeting sound, like the scream of a stallion and the roar of a mad grizzly. The car then felt as though it were being held back by something half-riding and attempting to stop it. But the powerful mercury proved too much for it, and after a couple hundred yards I felt no more resistance. To top this unbelievable experience off, believe it or not, I promptly forgot the whole experience. Then and there it went out of my mind. Not even the next day, when Lee asked me if I had seen anything unusual on that road last night, did I remember. He had come later from Happy Camp with another man hired to take him to Orleans. A few days later, an incident happened that should have brought the experience back, but didn't. Lee noticed a big dent in the grill of the car, and asked me how it got there. I told him I didn't know. Incidentally, Lee told me that something had tried to push them off the road when they came through on the detour. He said there's something strange going on around here, and let the matter drop. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G, at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. 
Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open out there. <laughs>